the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is brought to you by The Athletic. With sports leagues inching closer to a return, there's no better place to keep up with everything happening than The Athletic. Their newsroom delivers all access reporting, powerful stories you won't find anywhere else. Download the app, follow your favorite teams and leagues, and get a personalized feed of great content built around you as a sports fan. No ads, no clickbait, just sports coverage that brings you closer to the heart of every game. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription today. That's theathletic.com slash spot track. Good Monday. My name is Mike Gennetti. Welcome to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. The Redskins are changing their name. For now, in the site, it's the Washington TBDs with a default logo of a shield. <laughs> and we'll uh, certainly update that as more news evolves probably in the next couple of days, although there appears, appears to be some sort of legal battle between the tr- trademarking. And as a former web developer here, I can understand how that happened as people snatch up domains and trademark names and phrases as quickly as possible in order to try to make a buck off it. That's probably what's happening here, although it could be a little bit more sophisticated than that. But good to see the name change, but let's be fair. And I'm going to open with this. This is about money. <laughs> this is not about doing the right thing. This is not about a coming to Jesus moment for Dan Snyder. This is about a $45 million buyout, essentially, over the next six years that FedEx said, if you don't change it this year, we're pulling our name off of your stadium, and we're going to void the next six years of this contract, which equals $45 million. And it started with FedEx. It started to trickle out into other companies and corporations and sponsorships that were tied to the Redskins. And here we are. That's it. That's it. This has been such a long time coming. There is absolutely no reason for for Dan Slander not to have done this years ago, years ago. I mean, the evaluation process he went went through back, I don't know, 10 years ago and came up with the fact that Native Americans are not offended by this with some rinky-dink poll that he put together. It's crazy. It's just crazy that it took till 2020 the year of change to get this done. And it's all about money. It has nothing to do with anything else. And anybody who's saying otherwise is just wrong. I've said it a million times. I'm going to say it again. The answer to all problems is money. (laughs) Okay, that's why we're here. That's why the Washington football team is going to have a new name in the next couple of days. It is because FedEx put their foot down and said, we are not going to sponsor your stadium and we are not going to pay you another dollar until this happens. And that's it. That's it. And here's the kicker. Yeah, it's going to take a heck of a lot of work to rebrand. A heck of a lot of work. Signs all over the place. You know, obviously the merchandise, obviously all the internal business cards and profiles for all the staff. I get it. It's a headache. I mean, if anybody who's lost a credit card and had to start it over on that, it knows like 1% of what the, what's about to happen now in Washington. But the they're going to make a ton of money off this. <laughs> okay? This is going to be a rebranded Washington team possibly the same colors, likely the same colors, maybe the same R as a last name. So there'll be some consistency with the brand. Um, but for, for the most part, you know, it's just going to be a ton of fans buying new gear and they're going to make a ton of me off, money off this. It's win-win. It's win-win. You're a little less offensive. You get to rebrand, which is a pain for, you know, six months. And then you get to make a ton of money off it because everybody has to upgrade their gear. It's just a fact. It's why NHL teams do it every three years. Same with the NBA. Heck, English soccer teams do it every six months. There's a new kit seemingly every week over there. Um, You know, every single color possible for all those teams. So there's a reason behind this. And it's crazy and stubborn that it hasn't happened before. It happened earlier. You know, I'm all for tradition and I'm all for these teams remaining true to what they've been. But this was just one of those scenarios where it couldn't happen anymore. And I think the Cleveland Indians are in the same boat. I, I expect that to change. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe not this year, but sooner, the, sooner rather than later, they're certainly going to, they already really have changed a lot of their language and gotten rid of the, uh, the chief logo, things like that. So they've done bits and pieces of getting to that point. But for the Washington football team, it's long overdue. And the reason we're here is because of big time dollars. That's it. That's it. And that's really how all these owners operate. Unfortunately, it's, (laughs) it takes, uh, like I said, a come to Jesus moment where there's enough money in front of them that they have to make an absolute decision one way or another. 
and they almost always follow the money. That's what's happening here. So good for that. Good that it's done, but I'm not going to give any extra praise. That's for darn sure because I think it's a long time coming. Okay. Speaking of former Ron Rivera quarterbacks, smooth transition. Uh, we got the details on Cam Newton's contract kind of officially now, and it's as expected, maybe even a little somehow even less impactful than I thought it would be. I figured there'd be some kind of yardage incentives built into this. Uh, you know, I was kind of hoping the per game bonuses would be way higher. I mean, a $700,000 max on that is crazy. That could have been up in the millions, maybe 2 million mark, something similar to what Sam Bradford had a while ago after he had a couple of injuries and then was the fourth quarterback added to Arizona. Um, I just think everything on this contract is low, everything, including the guarantee. How did he not at least get the, the million dollars guaranteed? He only got half of it guaranteed. It, it, to me, everything about it is crazy low. I understand the minimum salary. Fine, we can start there if we have to. But then to get half guaranteed, to get 700000 in per-game bonuses, and then here's the incentives. They're all playing time incentives. It starts with 13% because he took 12.9% of the snaps last year. So none of this is likely to be earned, which was important to the Patriots to keep the cap away. So it starts at 13%. If he plays 13% of the Patriots snaps this year, it's $250,000. So already a nice little bump. Uh, you know, long story short, it's, it's incremental basically on the 10s from there out, 20, 30, 40, 50, et cetera, up to 90. And once you get to 60, there's also a playoff kicker as well. So if, for instance, if he plays 60% of the Patriots snaps and makes the playoffs, he'll get $1.75 million. Same thing goes at 70 for 2.25 million, 80 for 3 million, and it maxes out at 90% of the snaps plus a playoff berth is 3.75 million. Okay, so that's about half of your incentives right there. He can get half a mil to make the Pro Bowl, another half a mil to make the All Pro team, and for every playoff game that the Patriots win where he plays at least 50% of the snaps, he'll make an extra $250,000, maximum 1 million. All in total, the total contract can't go north of $7.5 million. That's what it is. That's how you get to $7.5 for Cam Newton. So I threw a tweet out this afternoon that I'll reference here again here. You know, if he plays all 16 games, if he's the week one starter, gets through the whole season unscathed, but the Patriots don't make the playoffs, which is a very real scenario. I think they're going to be a good team, and I think they're going to need a couple of bounces to go the right way to make to be an you know, above average team to the point of where they're contending for a postseason spot. It's a pretty good AFC. So they're going to have to really kind of overachieve in a lot of areas, I think, to to become a postseason team. So let's assume they're not. But let's assume Cam starts every single week. That means $2.25 million in incentives tacked on to the $700,000 in bonuses plus the $1 million salary. That's $4 million. That's $4 million. So maybe that's the likely base now. All right, because we're not going to assume an injury. That's terrible to do. Let's say there's no injury. He's the 16-week starter, but there's no playoffs. He makes $4 million as a starting quarterback at 31 years old. Bonkers. That's bonkers. The tweet I put out today referenced that Case Keenum will make $5.5 million probably to do absolutely nothing this year. Nothing. He's, gonna, he's backing up Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. There's a very likely chance he never hits the field. You know, knock on wood for Baker. But he can do nothing and make a million and a half more than Cam, who could play every week. So that's what I mean. Everything's low. To me, everything had to be higher, including these incentives. If he plays 16 games, he should make considerably more than $4 million. Considerably more. And then the playoff bonus should be considerably more as well. In my opinion, the incentive should be $10 million a part of this. It should be, it should be a one-year $12 million where $10 million of it is incentives. That's the justifiable thing. To fall from $20 million a year and an MVP candidate in 2018 down to this, it's just too far. It's too far for the quarterback, which is too strong of a position. I understand that you're, you're paid what you're offered and that the demand for a quarterback was probably as low as we've had in years because of the carousel that was out there. I mean, you had your Daltons. Tannehill was even a question mark at one point. There were plenty of things that were sitting there and plenty of names that were sitting there and somehow Cam was last. And look, it's very possible that Cam was waiting for this to happen. Cam wanted to be at the Patriots because the path to QB1 was way better. And he's right. But 
it's a terrible contract. And I'm sorry, I have to say this again. I've said it on Twitter. I've said it on the last show. I'll say it again now that I have the full details. I was hoping these would be stronger incentives. They're not. It's a terrible contract. Terrible. And, you know, all the things I've mentioned are relevant. You know, there was no demand. There were plenty of quarterbacks available. But Cam, at his best, if he's playing 16 games, I think the $4 million base is probably unlikely. They're going to make the playoffs if he, may, if he plays 16 weeks because he's doing a lot of things right. And that team can go from you know average to above average quickly, especially with a guy with his, his skill set at the helm. So I hope he makes more. I hope he maxes this thing out. That's obviously not likely. I mean, pro bowl, all pro, that's a long way away from where he, he was you know, last year and even 18 months ago. But he's, got, he's certainly got a chance to make more than a million dollars. So we can, we can at least start there and be positive. He's got a chance at that. So let's hope for health. And uh, if you're a Patriots fan, you're certainly hoping for a heck of a lot more than that. But again, I'm disappointed with how, uh, how loose these incentives are. And even if he maxes them out, just how simple it's going to be. It's just not enough. It's just not enough, especially after we saw Ryan Tannehill do this exact thing last year. And anybody who would put Cam and Ryan Tannehill against each other two years ago, that's probably a laughing comparison. I understand what Tannehill did last year, and there's really no proof that he's going to do it again this year, obviously. But, you know, two years ago, Cam versus Tannehill conversation was a joke. So to see how far Cam has fallen, and this contract is proof of that. It doesn't have to be an opinion or statistical references or anything. This contract is proof of how far he has fallen. It's, uh, it's tough to see. Hopefully good things out of Cam, and he can turn this back into a franchise tag or some sort of multi-year contract after this. That's the, that's the approach we like to see the, the show-me contracts take, and we've seen a lot of it. It's been successful for a lot of big players. So hopefully this is just the next iteration of that. Today's episode is also brought to you by Dynasty Owner. Do you think you're smarter than an NFL GM? Do you think you're the best at fantasy football? Here's your chance to prove it. Dynasty Owner unites the fan and excitement of fantasy football with the skill and strategy of the front office and the business side of owning an NFL franchise. Build a roster of players using their actual NFL contracts and salaries. Can you build a winner while staying under the salary cap? Visit DynastyOwner.com and join a league today. Win cash prizes and compete in the chase for the ring. Tell them Trek sent you. You'll get an extra bonus after joining your league. Visit DynastyOwner.com and tell them Trek sent you. All right, some more quarterback news. It's, uh, it's not looking good here for Dak Prescott. And I know we've brought up this name about 7 million times in the last six months, but that's sort of what happens with a quarterback position. You just can't, can't look away. <laughs> every, time, every time you try to run away, they draw you back in. And the news this week is that we've got two days left until the franchise-tagged players can sign a multi-year contract. The deadline is July 15th. We really haven't heard too much Russell about anything. I mean, Chris Jones and Kansas City may be negotiating at this point. Um, I'd be really surprised at this point if they don't get something done. That's the one I'm most confident in, and here's why. They went through this last year to some degree, and uh, you know, obviously winning the Super Bowl means <laughs> a lot of things have to change. It's just how it works. It's how, it's how it operates. Wait, wait, think back to Joe Flacco. There was no way that Baltimore could, A, let him walk, or B, not make him the highest big quarterback, or really the player in the NFL at that point in time. It's just what happens when you win. So we've got the Mahomes situation out of the way. We went through that at nauseum last week. Um, Chris Jones is next, and there's a lot of people that think Chris Jones is as important to that Chiefs defense as Patrick Mahomes is to that Chiefs offense. It's arguable because he's in a position that is somewhat devalued, you know, he's not a true edge rusher, and he's, he's more of an inside guy, but he's got edge rushing capabilities, and that's the, that's the difference. That's what makes him so valuable. That's what keeps him away from free agency and becoming a de- defensive tackle that's value plummets in free agency like we've seen so much in the past three to four years. You know, anybody who can kind of do both, live inside and outside, they're going to hold a lot of weight, and that's where we are with Chris Jones. He started 2019 at about an $18 million valuation in our system. He's now at about 20.1, and that's just going to increase and increase. Um, you know, any kind of contract that would have happened with Leonard Williams and the Giants would have improved it because Williams just doesn't have the numbers. So if the Giants were going to pay him and probably recklessly pay him, that was going to make Chris Jones even more valuable. So, you know, the Chiefs are certainly sending some love to the Giants for, as of today, announcing, no, we're going to let this thing ride out. I think both sides... and. Uh, Williams and the Giants want that to happen because it's not the right time for that contract. It's just not. 
And if I'm giving my opinions, it wasn't the right time for a franchise tag either. I'm not sure what kind of draw there would have been for Leonard Williams out there on free agency. And I think the Giants could have snagged him back for about half of that tag. I'm talking eight, nine, maybe max 10 million with incentives. Something that Sheldon Richardson got, if you remember when he left and, and found a home in Green Bay on a really incentive-laden contract. That's where Leonard Williams was headed for me. But, uh, you know, we're here on a franchise tag. He's going to get about 16, maybe even 17 million after a grievance to decide whether he's a tackle or an, or an edge rusher. And, uh, you know, like I said, him not signing kind of tempers the market now for Chris Jones to some degree. Chris Jones isn't going to be up there with Aaron Aaron Donald, but he's the second tier of Aaron Donald. You know, he's the Fletcher Coxes of the world, but that contract was three years ago. So that's where we are. I mean, if you're living between Aaron Donald and Fletcher Cox a a while ago, you're at 20 million. So there's really no bones about it. And here's the other thing we know. Uh, The Chiefs didn't move any cap at all. They gained 30000 this year and lost 30000 next year on the Mahomes contract. So there's no leverage there. It's not like Chris Jones, you know, is hearing from the Chiefs saying, well, we, we no longer have cap space for you. No, that's not the case. <laughs> the Mahomes contract didn't move that needle one iota. So whatever the situation was six months ago from a cap perspective is likely exactly the same as right now because they've made no significant offseason moves to go with it because of their cap situation. It's, it's either do or die. It's either yes or no for Chris Jones. And my guess is yes. Here's why. They're, they're winners. They're, they're going to be the favorite to win the AFC again. They're going to be the likely candidate to go to the Super Bowl out of the AFC. So you just don't mess with that. You don't mess with that. And, you know, the Aaron Donald contract has a ton of early guarantees because, as we all know now, that's what the Rams do. The Chiefs just won't have to do that. They should because, to me, that's what elite players should be asking for now are these early guarantees, the guaranteed mechanisms that Mahomes has, not, Mahomes has now made famous. But, you know, you're just not going to have to do that with Chris Jones to keep him happy. He just wants multi-year security. That's all. The franchise tag is good money. It's good coin for him, but it's not enough security. And he's done enough, plenty in the past three to four seasons to show that that's what he needs, multi-year security. Aaron Donald got a four-year contract. You know, it looks like six. It looks like essentially seven in total value, but it's four years in strong guarantee. So it's four years and about $87 million. He's not going to get that, I don't think. I mean, that's stable. That's twenty-one, almost twenty-two million a year over the fir- over the next four seasons. Uh, that that's probably not going to be the case. It's probably going to look and smell like a five-year contract, maybe even a six-year contract, to you know make that overall value a little bit higher, and certainly spread out some bonuses as needed. But it's going to be a maybe a four-year contract. I'd say at best the three. If it's a six-year contract in total total years about half of that would be fully guaranteed. So can you go, you know, three for 60 over the next three years on him and get that done? I think that's probably a smart move. And then you can push some of that cap later or even add some void years on a restructure if you have to. To me, that's the right move. So he's the one I'm looking at who of the franchise tag players who will get extended uh, because, you know, the, the opposite of that is he holds out. And he threatened to do it last year. He did for a little bit, and then he came back in training camp. Um, you know, there's no reason for him now not to hold out, in my opinion. He has not signed the franchise tag. He is not under contract. He faces no issue of fine or accrued seasons or any of that because he's already made his four years. He's, he's a veteran at this point, and he's not under contract. So he's not, he's not losing. He's not going to have to pay back money. It's just money he won't be earning if he holds out. So that's where I think we're headed, unfortunately. I know there are, uh, you know, it's, it's, it sounds somewhat selfish for a player who just won the Super Bowl to say, I'm not coming back until I get paid. But in the same breath, that's sort of how it works. If you're an impactful player on a Super Bowl winning team, you got to get paid. This is your time to do it. You know, a lot of people think last year was his time to do it and they didn't even get to the Super Bowl. So of course now one year later and a lot of things have changed, you know, a lot of people are rooting for him and are under his camp. I'm not going to go that far, but of the candidates here, I think he's the most likely to get the deal and it probably won't be a shocking deal. It's probably going to be right where it belongs. You know, the Chiefs just don't have a lot of wiggle room but they can get this done. So I expect, like I said, whatever it looks like in total contract should be about three for 60 at the end of the day. Um, Prescott is obviously the, you know, the, maybe the most polarizing player now. We're hearing bad news, though. We're hearing no news. We're hearing radio silent. We're, we're kind of back to where we were. I think it was February leading up to free agency when the tag was there and we just hadn't heard a thing. I mean, it sounded like they hadn't negotiated in quite a while. 
they've had years and years to do this deck has sort of progressed gradually and nicely each of the past couple of seasons to the point of now where statistically he holds up with pretty much anybody. And I understand that the only thing missing is winning. And that's a fair point. It's a fair point. We, we had this exact same road with Kirk Cousins, who was double tagged. So part of the poll I put out today was, you know, what is the most likely occurrence with these tagged players? Is Chris Jones going to hold out? Is Derek Henry going to get extended? Is Dak Prescott going to get double tagged? Or do the Jaguars actually trade Yannick Ngakwe? I mean, we've heard nothing from Jacksonville. Nothing in months. <laughs> months. Remember at one point there was a chance Fournette was getting traded. You know, obviously there was talk about the Nick Foles situation before that happened. But really since, what have we heard out of Jacksonville? They have just kind of gone by the wayside, which is probably exactly what they want to do in 2020. They just kind of want to go through the motions and get through this thing. And if they hit lightning in a bottle with Gardner Minshew, great. But I don't think they're expecting to. I think this is more of a uh, drop to the bottom situation. And if that's truly the case, then you got to trade Yannick Ngakwe. So that's the third poll option I put up there. So it's, does Dak, Dak Prescott get double franchise tagged? Does Chris Jones hold out? Does Yannick Ngakwe get traded? Or does Derrick Henry get extended? It was pretty even between Dak's tags and Yannick's trade. Uh, I, I, t- I tend to agree. Like I said, I opened with Chris Jones and his contract. I think that probably gets done. Derrick Henry... It would surprise the heck out of me if they extended him. But if they do, and it's essentially a double tag situation, I totally get that. And part of me is rooting for it because part of me thinks that that's exactly the approach that should be taken with these elite running backs. Four-year rookie contracts, maybe five if you're a first-rounder, though that's a, a dying art here. But get through the rookie contract in total, slap the tag on them, Either let him play the tag out and actually double tag him again or give him that multi-year contract that comes with two years of guaranteed money that would equal the double tag. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because look, if he's 29, right, if he gets through that, those two years, those next two years post the rookie contract, then he can still play. If it's an Adrian Peterson situation or even a Frank Gore situation, you've got him under contract for whatever fluff years you added on to that deal. Right? You as a team still have this running back. You can restructure it into a new deal that's a little bit more cap-friendly if you need to. But to, I think it's the better way to go. I understand the reason to use the tags. The players are going to start to absolutely hate the tags. They're going to absolutely turn against them. And if, the, and if every major running back starts to get them, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a real problem. Uh, we just can't get to a point where we were, I think it was two years ago, where there were so many tags that you could understand the teams were using them as a weapon. They were no longer just a placeholder. They were, they were literally a weapon to stake that player into the ground and say, you're not going anywhere. Here's what you're worth for at least a year, and there's no more security blanket after this. That's troublesome. That's troublesome. I get it with the running back. Like I said, I'm, under, I'm okay if they tag Henry this year, let it ride out, and then if he comes back next year, it'll be 120% of $10.5 million on a second tag if that's the case. Or they could just go two years, $25 million right now, get it over with, and have him under contract with their control to be able to do what they want to do. We'll see. We'll see. But uh, obviously not likely. So, but Dak getting double tagged, to me, is getting, becoming more and more likely. It's becoming obviously likely that he's going to play out this season on the $31 million. And the second tag would come in you know, considerably higher, 37 and change. So you're talking about $69 million over the next two seasons. Could be even higher depending on how big that franchise tag goes for the quarterbacks next year. But $69 million over the next two years, it's certainly not chump change. Not for, you know, Dak, who's come from nowhere, made about $4 million over the past four. So he's going to get an upgrade, no, no question about it. Will he have that multi-year security? I'm not sure. Does he want that multi-year security? Uh, certainly, but under his parameters. We've talked about it before. He doesn't want a deal that's got fluff. He doesn't want to be tied to the Cowboys and have them control his future. And he deserves that now. Every quarterback who's worth a darn deserves that now because of what we've seen with Mahomes. Mahomes just locked in 12 years all under his control. It's a fact. If you, if you don't believe me, go to his contract on our site. Go down to the contract notes. Look at the parentheses next to each march. Each march, the dead cap piles up more and more. And even as it starts to come down, it doesn't come down enough to a point of where Kansas City can say, oh, we're definitely getting out here. If you look for the potential outline on Patrick Mahomes' contract, you will not find it. I have not added one. In 12 years, I did not add a potential out because there is not an easy out. Certainly, the Chiefs could do it later in the contract, but it will hurt. 
if they do a post June first release on him anywhere in the last three years, it's going to be upwards of sixty million dollars of dead cap. It's going to hurt. I, I don't care where the cap is. I don't care if the cap's three hundred million by then or three hundred ten, whatever it is. Sixty million dollars in dead cap for a player who's not on your roster hurts. So that's the kind of contract we we now have under our belt from if you're an NFL. So when Dak is looking at his and he's seeing the negotiations coming over from from Dallas that have two years of impactful guarantees and a, and a rolling guarantee in the third year and then three additional years that look like garbage, even though there's nice cash attached to it, but you know he's got to jump through hoops just to get to those years. When you look at that next to the Mahomes contract, it's just not viable anymore. That stuff can't fly. And maybe that can fly with second-tier wide receivers and inside linebackers, um, but it shouldn't be able to fly with quarterbacks anymore. The trickle-down effect from Patrick Mahomes is the, the structure. You know, nobody's going to lock in 10 for 450 right now. That's not viable. But the structure, the strength, and the practicality of the player option, which is essentially what that is, should trickle down to some degree. Dak should be able to control his destiny, you know, up until 35 years old. Let's say that, right? Any any quarterback who's worth a darn should be able to say say what they want to do until they're 35. And then maybe then they can be at the mercy of the team's control because they're older, they're aged out. And they're at a point now where they're just simply trying to finish their career strong. And, uh, you know, maybe that's where Aaron Rodgers might be right now. Heck of a player still more than above average, but possibly likely to get traded in the next 18 months because of everything I just mentioned. That's where we are right now. And Dak's not in that position yet. Dak's looking for that big payday. And if he doesn't have the structure and doesn't have the security and the, and the player power that has now been kind of set down and stamped into the NFL from Mahomes, he should bail. He should play out the $31 million. He should have let them tag him again next year, and they should go back to the drawing board. And if the, and if the Cowboys want to screw around with it again, he'll take the $37.5 million and he'll play that again, and then he'll have $75 million of career earnings, and he'll go play for anybody who wants to pay him that multi-year contract. To me, that's the way we go. It's what happened with Kirk Cousins, who's, ha- who's been on a really nice Minnesota team for the past couple of seasons. He's had, you know, you know same old Kirk Cousins, tons of stats, actually won himself a couple of big games. So he's kind of uh, turned that leaf over a little bit as well. And he's really just got to get to the big show. That's it. Once he gets to the big dance, that's it. He'll have validated himself as a quarterback. He has validated himself financially. I can tell you that right now. And, uh, you know, guaranteed franchise tag, then guaranteed franchise tag, then three-year fully guaranteed free agent contract, and then a two-year fully guaranteed extension. That's Kirk Cousins over the past five years. You can't tell me that's not good. That's NBA stuff right there. That's the kind of stuff LeBron James does. He gets maximized salary at, 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 in small contracts, mostly one-year deals with options after that, moves around if he has to, but if the current team will pay him and he's happy, he'll just take it and run. He's not looking for five years. He's looking for a couple of years tacked on, fully guaranteed, doesn't want to have to think about it. That's what the quarterback has earned now, unfortunately. You know, the, court, the gap between the quarterback and the other positions in the NFL is so big that I can say that about the quarterback and not mean it about anything else, unfortunately. But that's where we are. And Mahomes has just, like I said, stamped that into the league now, that the importance of not just guarantees, but early guarantees if you're going to go long term versus full guarantees if you're going to keep it short are here and they should be here to stay at that position. I know it's difficult. Not a lot of teams are going to wrap their heads around that yet. Not a lot of GMs are going to be willing to do that. But the league is built to protect quarterbacks. And if you're worth it, and I believe Dak is, and I believe enough people, certainly in Dallas, in Dallas's regime, think he is the guy, then this is the route you have to go. You can't screw around anymore with fluff years and, you know, we got to structure our dead cap prop. Nope, can't do it anymore. This is the position you don't screw around with. You pay it accordingly. So if Dak goes, gets double tagged, good for him. Because guess what you can, you can do on two franchise tags? You can control it. You know that the third year is going to be an, op- an option for you because they're not going to triple tag you because nobody, nobody's had the guns to do that yet. But, you know, and, if De- and oh, by the way, if Dallas wants to do it, he'll take that money too. My point is you can take $70 million over the next two seasons and then figure out your destiny after that as long as, you know, barring the injury, knock on wood, it's not a bad way to go. You can get yourself where you want to go. Have you ever wanted to take a shot at getting a $12,000 Michael Jordan rookie card or a $1,600 autographed Tom Brady helmet for a fraction of the price? Hit Parade is the premier authentic autographed sports memorabilia mystery box manufacturer in the country. 
take a shot at getting an autographed item from the biggest names in the game like Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, Zion Williamson, Mike Trout, and many more. And oh, by the way, congratulations to Dan Morgan, our Hit Parade Collection Major League Baseball opening day social media winner. We threw a post out a couple of weeks ago that where we asked for the best Major League Baseball opening day story you got. Got plenty of responses. Thank you to all who did that. Dan Morgan's the winner. He got a mystery memorabilia box from Hit Parade and broke my heart <laughs> because he opened that thing up and scored himself a an autographed Pete Alonzo jersey, official, of course. So I, uh, I immediately regretted this contest, but I'm happy for him. Hopefully we can do this again. We're going to try to do this with a bunch of the other sports, especially as they get going and get open, kind of a way to commemorate the, seat, the sports coming back. Knock on wood there. But uh, congratulations to Dan. Thanks again to Hit Parade. It's a really awesome product. It's basically like a grab bag where you're going to get something good. And uh, if you get the ones that include a bunch of memorabilia, you're going to get a whole variety of what you're looking for and a chance at something really, really valuable. Visit dacardworld.com to check out your Hit Parade memorabilia today. Okay, we're going to bring in ESPN's Paul Hambakitis. He's the producer for Get Up. He's been with Greeny and Golick through the Mike and Mike years. He's going to follow Greeny, I believe, to the new radio show, which was just announced, uh, I believe, August 17th. Mike Greenberg will be back on ESPN Radio. Lunchtime, though. So uh, you'll get Greeny and get up. You'll get Greeny for lunch. And uh, Hembo will be right along him, giving him numbers, giving him stats, giving him trivia, keeping things interesting. That's why we love to have him on the show. He's a big numbers guy. And uh, we really appreciate all the support he's given us over the past couple of years. So please welcome back to the show, Paul Hembakitis. Welcome back to the show, Hembo, ESPN's producer for Get Up and possibly some new stuff. Paul, welcome back to the show. What's going on over there, man? A little shake up? Possibly, who knows? Yeah, they they did the uh, they revamped the whole ESPN radio radio lineup. You may have seen, so they've added uh, two hours of of Greeny. I think he's on from from noon to two every day. So we'll see how that affects uh, me and the rest of the Get Up staff. Um, but honestly, I'm just happy that I found a couple of minutes to chat with you because, based on your Twitter feed, at least, no one on earth has done more media over the last week than you have. You've been on you've been on the radio more than Anthony Fauci has. So I'm just delighted that we found half an hour for us to chat because you have become the voice of record on on all things and Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes contract last week you were blowing up man. I uh I appreciate that, but I spent way too long trying to figure that contract out, Hembo. That was that's regrettable <laughs> on all accounts. You're right. I did make the rounds and I was happy to do it cuz it it is kind of interesting and I think it is going to change the way we uh, we see some NFL contracts at least from the quarterback position. So appreciate you saying that. I'm glad it's over. <laughs> uh, kind of hoping Dak Prescott stays in the franchise tag. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, let's talk baseball, bud. Um, let's do it. Ten days to go. You're going to start with the Yankees, of course. Why, why wouldn't we? You know, they've won everything, nothing over the past 15 years, but we'll start with the Yankees. <laughs> and uh, they're banged up already. And that's kind of where, where I want to start here because injuries are going to be a big part of the shortened season. You know, it's going to take time for these guys to get back if they're injured and there's not time in the season. It's not a marathon anymore. This is kind of a sprint. How are teams going to react from a pitching standpoint if they've got to go, you know, three major starters? Are we going to see shortened starts in the 60 games? Are we going to see four or five innings and done? And we're going to see a se- essentially seven-man rotation? And follow-up question, I'll, I'll let you run on this. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be something that could possibly carry through into a longer season? I think there is I think there is a real chance that we will see certain things work for teams this summer, maybe even by accident, that wind up sticking. Like I think it's very possible that some team might really hit with a four man rotation in which they let their guys, you know, get fifteen outs and then they go to the pen. I think teams might find that like let's let these you know, let's use a six-man rotation and let these starters blow out and throw 110 pitches every night and see where it lands. I think ultimately it it really depends on the quality of your bullpen. Like, I think the quality of the bullpens this year probably – the quality and depth of the bullpens, more than anything, will probably make more of a difference than anything else. I was really curious in doing some research whether or not, like – whether or not we'll see a, a pitchers uh, – starters used differently and perhaps even shorter based on track record early in season – but it surprised me that it, there was it was absolutely not the case. There was really no difference in pitch total or ending volume 
in March or April among starters versus later in the season. But as we do know, sort of league-wide offense builds throughout the season. Now, some people attribute that to weather. I think there's probably a variety of factors for it. But I don't know if we're going to see that adjustment this year. Like, I don't know if these guys are just going to hit right away. I don't know if we – there's really no way of knowing if if the pitchers are going to be ahead of hitters early. And by the time we figured it out, the, the season's already going to be halfway over. I mean, I think one thing we know for sure is that we're going to see – really long game. I mean, the average game last year was three hours and 10 minutes. And I mean, every game counts for three this year, right? So given, given that managers, managers will probably react that way. There's a really good chance. We see like an, on average, like three and a half hour games. Like that would not at all surprise me. We might, this might not actually, these might be like slogs. Like there's a real chance that these games are slogs and the teams that come out on top are the ones that can use their taxi squad the best. Like I was, I was actually texting back and forth with, with Jeff Passan about this. And I think he and I see this differently. I'm of the opinion that the teams with the surplus of young arms, the minor leaguers that you can bring up to blow cheese for an inning or two at a time are going to be at, an, uh, at a big advantage. Jeff feels the opposite. He feels like for, 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 for how much leverage is at stake here, you know, in a 60 game season, you're not going to want to attribute that kind of, uh, that, that kind of workload to rookies. But you know, like uh, the way that I see it, like so many of the problems that, that the young players have is the volume, right? <laughs> By the time the league, the, the league adjusts back, there's no such thing as the league adjusting back this right. year. Like the league isn't adjusting back to Nate Pearson, for example, like teams like that with arms like that, I, I think are going to find themselves at a, at a considerable advantage if they can figure out how to use them. When obviously over the course of a full season, those guys probably would have remained in the minors. Yeah. It's an awesome point. Um, and, and just to tack on to the, your starting pitching versus relief pitching, the league kind of tried this on its own two years ago, and I'm, I know you were aware of it. I know you had plenty of numbers yeah. on it back in the day, and it was a massive disaster. It worked for about six weeks, and it started to be a thing where the media picked up on it and, and ha- was having this conversation. You know, is the starting pitcher dead? Are, is, it gonna, is there going to be an opener and a three-inning, you know, essentially a bridge guy, and then we're going to have a, a slew of one-inning relief pitchers to finish off the game? Is that going to be the new baseball? And by August, this was pretty much shot in the foot. It was a, it was a disaster. But if you remember, I mean, the Rockies were started building through free agency for relief pitching. I mean, they signed like yeah. three closers for like a hundred million dollars. It was a disaster. They're still paying them, by the way. But they uh, are. Yeah. But the, the way Davis is and and <laughs> Jake McGee and Scott Obergs of the world. I mean, those those signings were disastrous. But yeah. like, look, I mean, last year in a 162 game season, the two the teams with the two best rotations ended up meeting in the World Series. That's and right. The team with the best one won. So like, and that was a long season. So I think you're right. Ultimately, a mat- the personnel is what matters most. Some teams might figure out ways to get cute and do it, but ultimately, it's, it's if you have. Like a good starting pitcher, a good reliable starting pitcher that can get you 21 outs is still going to be the most valuable commodity in baseball. And in a shortened season, you might even see teams get really creative with how they use those guys. Like it wouldn't surprise me if I don't know, I'll use Max Scherzer for example. If he if he started, you know, 12, 13, 14 games, and they used him like for quick, in, like the way they did in the playoffs, like for quick, you know, inning or two bursts on his pen day. Like those are things that we might see as early as like August. Whereas it would be unheard of before October previously. Because they're not going to have 200 innings. Correct. Yeah, yeah of course. I mean, yeah. you, you bring in Max Scherzer to blow cheese for, you know, the seventh and eighth innings and, and, and give your bullpen a break on his pen day. Like that makes all the sense in the world to me. And he might, they might even, sh- they might even choose to shorten the, the, the starts of these guys and have them go, you know, average 15 to 18 out, even if things are good, knowing that they can use them. Uh, like on the back end on their pen day, like teams might be setting up their rotations now, like they're starting a postseason series, especially teams that sort of have to live by the margins. I think the Rays are a really good example of a team like that. The Rays are going to play some disastrous four hour games this year where they're using <laughs> two outfielders and six infielders and, 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 you know, with, with all sorts of you know, oddly shaped shifts and, and, and bullpen machinations, but that's going to be baseball in 2020. And like you said, some teams might find that some of it works and maybe it becomes part of our currency. Okay. So where I was going with this whole discussion was, you know, after we had that disastrous relief pitching, you know, essential test case, the value of the starting pitcher, you're right, last year completely skyrocketed back up to where it belongs. I mean, even your Kershaw's and the, the aging starting pitchers kind of got their mojos back. So from a financial standpoint, who has the most to gain here in this shortened season? Because I, I'm wondering if it's not pitchers. I'm wondering if you can have hitters who get so hot in a compact area that you know, there's justification for some of those players making money. Whereas 162, you and I have talked about this before. None of those major, not, not Pujols, not Harper, not even Trout to some degree. There's just not enough bang for buck from the, from that, from those guys. It's always better to pay a pitcher than it is a hitter. But is this shortened season going to say otherwise, Paul? 
I don't know. I, I mean, there. <laughs> I think that's that's a complicated question because we don't even know what the collective bargaining agreement is yeah, going to look I like. Know. So I think teams have teams it's have the to elephant in the room, man. Leave it alone. <laughs> right. Okay. Okay. Fair <laughs> enough. It's it's in the corner, but it's taking up a lot of my space. Uh, what else? What I'll say is this: like, if I would feel a lot more comfortable paying a stud starting pitcher this upcoming winter than I would a year ago, because like the the, the volume of work that they've been asked to do this year, in hindsight, sure. will have been very insignificant. Like those are things that you're going to have to take into account. Like, obviously like anytime you're signing a starting pitcher, I just sort of subscribe to the unscientific. There's only so many bullets in the arm theory. Like I think the Garrett Cole contract will probably work for five or six years. And the Yankees are just going to acknowledge like year seven, eight, nine might be washes, but you almost feel like you might be saving yourself a year. So those, like you know, some of those pitchers might, might have an opportunity to, to sort of like Mike Minder, for example, is coming off a great season. He can make make his way through another good season, and maybe he'll be able to get a nine-figure contract if everything is right with the CBA, where he was never had that chance otherwise. I really don't know. The thing is, like, we're we're just we're just sort of guessing here, and we're talking about, in my opinion, right now, fantasy baseball because like the likelihood yes. of us being able to go front to back here is, in my judgment at least, like less likely than not. Like that's that's the obviously we're not even going there like the health thing is one you know we've we talked about that a couple times on the podcast already we that that's an area we don't even know even if we're speaking about the things that we know the shape of the season is totally without precedent so really like really nothing would surprise me it wouldn't surprise me if someone like george springer played one game accrued a service time and hung up the spikes and who could blame him for it like you can you can reasonably say i have covid concerns and then you can hit free agency after having played one game accruing that service time you know, and say, you know what, you got, you guys screwed me with service time manipulation, you know, five, six years oh. ago. So this is my way of, of, of sticking it to the man. Like th- there's all sorts of things like that can happen. Like I, I didn't even really answer your question. No, no. Like that's just sort of, that's just sort of my humility here because like I, none of us know. So to pretend like we know is silly. The, the, the shape of the season is going to be without precedent. And we're going to discover things along the way that we never even knew were possible. You took it in a whole nother direction, which makes complete sense because I know we're going to talk free agents in a little bit. We might as well start there now. You're right. I, I guess I've never even wrapped my head around that. I mean, we, we've heard Chris Bryant talk here about the virus and about how the, the Major League Baseball has been poor. But you're right. There's underlying tone there. Chris Bryant has been back and yeah. forth in an arbitration battle about his service time. And you're right. He is absolutely a candidate to do exactly what you just said, to, to just say, I'm going to play a week for this team and I'm going to bail out on this like Trevor Lawrence would do if Clemson football moves to the spring. He's not going to play in the spring. He might not even play in the fall. So, it, why would he? Why yeah, would he? Yeah, you're doing you're doing a math equation. Like for, like Marcus Semyon finished third last year in the AL MVP voting. It was by far his best season. Right. The idea that I'm going to go out there again and play at best 60 games in in, in an unprecedented season with health and nor, normal health and all sorts of safety concerns that are unprecedented. Yeah. Like who who could fault any of these guys for that? Like that's. That's a whole other thing. Like we're we're being asked to make predictions now, like on ESPN, ESPN.com, and all this stuff. And you're you're just at, you're just you have no idea what's going to happen because you're not even really sure what these rosters are going to look like. Like there's a like who we we just don't know. Like Major League Baseball could just like pull two rosters out of the schedule if there's an outbreak in, in a in a clubhouse. Like you know, God forbid. Like there's there's all sorts of things that could happen here, and not all teams are even being transparent like the the rays for example have like half a dozen guys that just aren't practicing and they're not even telling us why they're not at camp right so <laughs> it's it's those things are those things are so hard to predict but i do think there will probably be people that that will be uh impending free agents that will just opt not to play and it would it would look at, like obviously th- that will be something that fans will hate and rightfully oh, so yeah but economically if you look at a player like george springer who has been screwed by the system more than george springer this would be his chance to sort of stick it to the man but like we said before who knows how profitable the free agent market will be anyway so there's so much there's so much that we don't know and there's and and there's so many players that will be adversely affected by this and i think the upcoming like the upcoming free agent class and and teams that invested in you know one-year contracts are going to be are going to sort of draw the short end of the stick if you will yeah, I'm looking at the list right now, and it's it, it doesn't have the impact, the sexiness that we had this this past free agency, which kind of carried the day. Um, you know, obviously, Bet sits on top of this list, but that, that's the X factor of all X factors. The entire Dodgers system is, right now is an X factor. One of the things I wanted to talk about, we can we can speak to the Dodgers, I guess, is how much is this shortened season going to ruin certain teams' contentions windows? Because everybody, you know, these teams now don't just hope and pray every year. There's a plan, there's a process. And we've heard that so much in other sports, but it's true. It's, it's how you have to develop. You're developing from within through draft picks and through AAA. 
and obviously you're acquiring via trades and via international signings, but there's a, there's a point at which you, you're hoping it all culminates together. Like I think the White Sox probably are a year away, but they were kind of hoping they had lightning in a bottle this year and could push, especially with Cleveland drawing back and Detroit a mess still, that, that they could push forward. Certainly the Dodgers were going to be the favorite in the National League outside of Washington at this point. Uh, who's, who's in trouble now? I mean, anything can happen in 60 games, but is there a chance that any of these teams just fall off a cliff after the season? Well, I think there are two teams. I used your site today, actually, to, to sort of come to this conclusion. There are two teams. There are one in each league that I think are most adversely affected. In terms of falling off a cliff, I'm not sure. But the, the, the Atlanta Braves are one team that I think definitely are adversely affected. The Braves spent $45 million on one-year contracts. $36 million of those, Marcelo Zuna and Cole Hamels, a team that invested heavy in the – look, I always operate under the premise there is no such thing as a bad – one-year contract. But at that point, I said that I certainly didn't know what the coronavirus was. Another team that I think is is impacted negatively by this are the Twins. 60% of their rotation is a free agent after this season. And two, you know, two of those guys uh, are on one-year deals, and obviously they re-upped Jake Odorizzi for one year. So those are two teams that obviously invested a lot in the short term. And like I said, like you might not even get the season. And if you do, you're, you're certainly not getting the impact of the players that you signed. The two teams that I actually think it helps the most are the Padres and the Indians. The Padres could re- really pitch well last year with Chris Paddock healthy yeah. and totally fell off a cliff. I think teams without that depth, teams without that depth in the starting rotation, make it might get helped here because you don't have you don't have to sustain it for 162 games. That that, that uh, starting rotation had a area of 5.1 from game one uh, from game 61 on last year, but they were at four in the first 60 games. And the other team that I think really benefits from this is the Indians, because this might be a totally shallow and off base theory, but I'm going to operate under the assumption that this season, I think teams with stars with, are going to benefit more than they usually do. We've seen like how much value one star can have in Mike Trout, even if he produces 10 more, his team still isn't sniffing the playoffs. But in 60 games, if you get a healthy Lindor and Ramirez and Bieber and Clevenger, those guys could cook and give you 10 or 15 more. That's enough to get you in the playoffs by themselves. Like that's and and the Indians are a team last year when they had when they had a healthy Lindor and they had a healthy Jose Ramirez. That team went 64 and 45 and averaged nearly five runs a game. So like those like those little things that usually stretch out over a full season and don't much matter are going to matter a lot more. So maybe. Maybe that's sort of like my my uh, my ESPN talking like to say like yeah I think teams with the stars teams with the superstars are really going to benefit this year but that top end talent over the course of sixty games we've seen stars carry teams for two months at a time we've seen it especially after you know sometimes after the uh, the trade deadline when you'll see, you know a big acquisition like Carlos Beltran for example in Houston we've seen it, you know you know Cespedes when he was traded to the Mets we've seen player individual players carry teams if you have four stars like the Indians do and I project they do. I think that's a team that could really benefit if they get like sort of average play across the board and all four of those guys stay healthy and play up. Paul, when is the trade deadline? Do you know offhand? No, I don't. I don't either. I'm not, I'm August not. 30, August 31, if memory serves, but, but you know, that, like that's, that's another fascinating thing. It is two, like theoretically you have two dozen teams that should be going for it. Like, Two dozen teams that should be going for it. I don't think that's that's hyperbole. Like you mentioned the White Sox. I mentioned the Padres. If I think the Blue Jays are another team that you could probably yeah. see like yeah. six, 60 games in baseball is nothing. You see teams. You you see really the Jets finished last year six and two in the second half of the season. They stink. So <laughs> the, like, you could reasonably see a team like the Padres going thirty six and twenty four over a sixty game span and hitting like that's and and, and by the end of August like there's a chance that like only a handful of teams are actually willing to trade those guys, which could totally inflate the market. Like if, yes. if, uh, yes. if the, if the Oreo, if the Orioles and the Marlins or, you know, or, or the, or the Mariners are looking to deal, like all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, one of those guys becomes a, a luxury piece that teams would be dying to get into. I guess if the, I guess if the Indians were out of it by that point, they could, they could go crazy. I mean, they could, they could, you probably you know add a whole franchise under their belt if they were willing to trade Francisco Lindor. Right. But that's that's a whole other thing. Like I, because the the supply will certainly be less than the demand at that time. If, if teams can navigate this deadline effectively. Will we'll definitely come out shining on the other side. And there's only a handful of teams that you really project to stink. I named a few of them, but they should already be gearing up for that, and they should be willing to trade those guys much sooner than August 31st. Yeah. You you might you can, if you can get 40 games. If you can get 40 games of, of some stud, then you should you should be willing to trade those guys almost as soon as the season starts. Also, not knowing where the season's going to end, I, I'd be looking to I'd be looking to make trades almost immediately. It's all about future. 
Like yeah. if you're if you're not in the top ten percent of the league right now from a projection standpoint, you should absolutely be thinking the way you just laid it out because you're just not gonna know on August thirty first. Six weeks is not gonna be enough to know what kind no. of team you have unless you're the same team you were last year. So you're right. Yeah. That benefits the Indians, that benefits teams who are right there, certainly the Dodgers, although they did change some they did have some, have some moving pieces. But I look at this free agent list and I'm identifying players right here who could immediately help Trevor Bauer, Robbie Ray. Mm-hmm. How about how about Real Muto off your Phillies? I mean, th- those oh, players yeah. could go uh, really soon. Go Springer could go if Houston falls off a cliff here w- with all everything that's happened. I don't expect that they're still a pretty darn good team. But if they if they know they're not going to pay him and, and the and the drawback on Springer is huge, he's going to go because there's going to be so much chaos leading up to that deadline. There's going to be so many teams who don't know who they are that you're going to see some of these names. I, I I love the idea of how crazy that could be, but you're right. It could just be nothing because teams just kind of sit back and let it happen. It would be to me. That's the wrong move. This is the this is the the gap year where you make a big move like that if you're a bad team and you get better because of somebody else's misfortune. Yeah, this is uh, this is certainly an opportunity for teams like that. And I will say this: I don't think you and I have had a chance to chat uh, since the deal became official. I would have been fascinated to see the sort of the difference in strategy at the trade deadline if we had gotten an expanded playoff. Yeah. Like, I think the players losing out on the expanded postseason was a was a huge, huge miss for them, both in the short and the long term. But even so, like if we had had an opportunity for essentially half the league to make the playoffs, that trade deadline would have been unlike anything we've ever seen because like that, that would have legitimately been 24 teams going for it because what else do you have to lose? So <laughs> teams, any team, uh, you know, sort of, that sort of self-eliminated at that point would have been, just put, putting anybody with any present value up for auction and letting the league just go to war over it. I'm not sure we'll quite have that now. I also think teams will probably be hedging for the possibility that the season just abruptly gets canceled, which right. I think you and I would agree is very possible. Oh, yeah. And that's sort of a, another variable that's just very hard to identify. But like that's, I think risk management, the teams that handle risk management best this summer are going to, are definitely going to come out on top as well. Hmm. What's, I mean, I don't, I hate to ask this question, but what's the likelihood here that we get through this thing? Less than 50, right? Um, yeah. I mean, I would say like, if you're just ha- asking me to put a random number on it, I would say something like one in three. I mean, what, I mean, what's the question? Like it, it, the likelihood that we start and finish the season without interruption and, and declare a champion, I think is, is at best one in three. If you're looking at what the MLS is dealing with right now, and I mean, they, yeah. they have such a small scale compared to us. The fact that, I mean, there are so many issues right now. There is a there's a team in Canada, which is a is another variable that's almost impossible to quantify because we don't have any idea where they can play or if anyone can even come to Canada and play baseball. Right? We have major major issues in Florida, which has been which is the epicenter of where the NBA is trying to do this. So I don't know if the bubble model is more likely to work than the baseball model. But obviously, if you're if you're using you know the uh, the Korea baseball organization as your barometer, you're just not paying attention because their numbers are just so different than ours. Like I, I'm with you. Like I think the likelihood that we actually play baseball is pretty high. The likelihood that we do so without interruption is very small, and that's what you know we talked about all all spring. Like Major League Baseball wasted so much time getting their ducks in a row financially, and then yeah. like it was just such it was just such a uh, it was just such an un- unsatisfying ending. Like if, if Major League Baseball had started their season early in June and built in an opportunity for things to go wrong, then it would be one thing. But now, really, like even a two week delay at this point delays the season so long that you'd have to modify your entire postseason. I'm not sure baseball has any margin for error. No, I think that's right. I do think that's right. Uh, let's talk about some free agents real quick, because I, I guess we just have to operate like there's going to be some signings next year, even though the, the luxury tax could just tank at this point. I mean, everything might really come yeah. down hard in baseball. I'm pretty confident the other sports are going to at least plateau. It sounds like they're already on that track, but baseball is going to be in trouble here. The revenue is just going to be too high, I think, to keep things where it is. So what do we do with Mookie Betts? <laughs> Mookie Betts would be best served to if Mookie Betts is, is most interested in earning as much money as he possibly can. If I were Mookie Betts, I would say I want to sign a two-year contract for whoever will give me the most money. And I think he'll probably be able to get $40 million a year. Like what, what superstar has ever done that? I mean, other than like, you know, I guess Roger Clemens like 15 years ago when he was in his early forties and he could still really pitch, but like, that's the way to go. The collective bargaining agreement is going to be an absolute mess next year. And tying myself as a current player to the current deal, I think would be a mistake. At least a player of 
Mookie Betts' caliber. It, it's, we know Major League Baseball has been great from a national, national um, television perspective, and that obviously drives a lot of these numbers. I would not feel comfortable signing a, a nine-figure contract if I were one of these big guys like Mookie Betts or JT Real Muto without seeing what those numbers look like. like Mookie Betts is gonna have, it's still going to have a real market in a couple of years. It's easy for me to say because it's not my money. And sure, he can sign a massive contract with probably – you know, several teams, but he's not going to break the bank the way that he could have previously. I mean, at least I would be stunned if he could do that, especially with how teams might be, you know, unwilling to spend that kind of money. So if it were me and I was a, a star free agent uh, coming up and we talked about Springer, we talked about Semyon, you mentioned Mookie Betts. The best play is a two-year deal. The best play is a two-year deal to get through the 2021 CBA and figure out what it looks like on the other side, because it seems like what we know for sure about the current deal is that it hasn't worked out well for players. The average player salary has declined during the current CBA while it increased by at least 15% throughout the lifetime of each of the previous three. So this obviously just isn't working for players. When you add the, you know, the, the COVID component to this, I'm signing a short deal with a high average annual value. If I'm anybody with any kind of leverage and allowing myself to hit the open market, hopefully still at a reasonable age, once we have a new CBA and everyone's put down their boxing gloves. So are you saying two years so that you can carry through the CBA because through the strike, I should say, because there's, I mean, there's yes. going to be a strike. Yes. So you want to be under contract uh, during the strike, right? Cor- yes. I want to, I don't, there's a, there's a chance we don't play baseball this year or next year. There's a real chance of that. And if I can, and if I can, if I can be under salary through this year or next year and have a chance to hit free agency, say in 22, just, just, just as a, as an example, we'll get a CBA done, but I think it's going to be pretty ugly and we might miss some time. So I think it would, I think it would behoove someone like Mookie Betts this off season. If we can do it to sign a two year, $80 million contract. And hopefully once all the ugliness of the CBA expires, give himself another bite at the apple with the new CBA done. I don't look, I don't know if that makes the most sense given like the projected timeline, but what could we, like, what do we know about any projected timeline? Like major league baseball engaged in self mutilation for two months this summer over something that should have been figured out pretty easily right so who knows what that's going to look like i just know that i would not if i'm mookie best just using him as the example i'm not interested in trying to sign a mega deal this upcoming offseason given where the finances are in major league baseball i think i would really be shorting myself if i tried doing that so you don't seem as worried as i am about mookie bets <laughs> and uh, and i get it i understand but he's kind of the top dog obviously in this in this class yeah the problem is it's been you know, you could even talk. I understand what happened with Cole last year and obviously with Harper and then Trout's extension as well. We've had some elite contracts, but you, I mean, you mentioned the salaries dropping. It's a big, big problem. It's like a 1% and that's it right now in base, in major league baseball. And maybe Mookie Betts qualifies for that. I think he should. I think he, I think the numbers you're putting out there are correct, but in the current state of baseball and where we're going in the next 18 months, I just don't know if anybody's going to sign on board with that. Let me throw a crazy, a crazy idea at you because I actually think that a couple of leagues are going to entertain this idea and it might not be a terrible idea for baseball long-term, not just through this little three-year mess. What about an amnesty clause, Paul? Hmm. What about a situation where you can sign a superstar at a maximum value, but it's not going to account towards your luxury tax? Yeah. Uh, Greeny has long been in favor of that for quarterbacks in the NFL, yes. which is, it's an interesting notion because obviously it goes a long way in, in stunting team building uh i actually think the way that it works in the nfl is is favorable uh because it requires such shrewd front office and it keeps the league um in a position where the playoff teams are always rotating and 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 engages 32 fan bases i think that's a good thing the nba i have in the nba long argued that what they should get rid of is the max contract because you got rid of the max contract you're not gonna like if you're stacking three superstars they're giving up way more money than just a couple million dollars i sort of like the current baseball model. In fact, I actually favor the notion of strengthening or, or, or making the, the penalties under the luxury tax threshold even more harsh. Mm. Uh, Just, just because I am one who personally favors the the parody, but I know that like in the grand scheme of it, like the, the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Cubs being good is better for baseball than the Royals winning the world series. I get that. The amnesty clause I could probably be talked into, but I'm not like I'm not sure that's something that could go. Like I, I, I guess my my point would be, given the, the the given how far the two sides are going to be apart. Like I think we're going to be lucky to get almost anything. Like that's <laughs> like I, I guess if we're just sta- if we're just like stacking things, if we're just like sort of uh, shooting paintballs uh, off the wall, it, it, that that it's something that could potentially work. And obviously, it would it would theoretically raise the 
the top player salaries considerably. And that's obviously a good thing for your sport. But you know what else would be a good thing for the sport is if half of the half of the players in it could make the playoffs benefit from the playoff revenue and set themselves up for more playoff teams in the next CBA. And they turn that chance down just because they wanted the right degree. So I, I think <laughs> I think the, t- the sides are the, the, the sides are like they they went from like tell us when and where, in like one week to like tell us where uh, where to when and where to file a grievance. So like they <laughs> they went from having like this brilliant motto and slogan that I totally bought into to just totally <laughs> self sabotaging themselves. Like look, I'm sorry these these guys can't get out of their way. Like you you bought yourself good public will for for a week. And then all of a sudden you 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 lost it. You know that didn't even really answer your question. No, no, you make it. That's an interesting thought, but I I mean, like who who knows? Like the next CBA is gonna is is gonna be a bloodbath, man. Like that's gonna be just that's 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 not gonna be a fun one. You you hit on the point I was trying to make though, which was the the game is suffering from a marketability standpoint, from a a revenue standpoint, it's suffering. And now this is obviously a, a gigantic, you know, black hole for the revenue take as well. So you're in a situation now where it's going to take them years to dig out of this. That's just a fact for baseball. It's not TV money. Of, uh, you, know, you know, it doesn't have the football money. That's just going to come flowing back in whenever they ask for it. So it's going to take them years. So I, I really do think they have to have some kind of stopgap in place to not only make the money back, but also get people watching the damn thing again. I, uh, and, and you're right. I mean, you, you hit the nail. I, I understand that it's, it's kind of a gross way to get there. But if you could just let the Dodgers and the Yankees and, and those big city teams be good, where when they you know that used to be what drove baseball and you're at a point now where parity isn't selling it just isn't the Royals winning beating the Mets in 2015 did nothing for baseball nothing and I'm not just saying that from a biased yeah. standpoint but you you kind of got to be all cards in right now on uh, on everything yeah, with baseball this. on everything pushing um, forward with baseball I I was very much not like a baseball is, is is dying alarmist type like so, so many of my colleagues until I saw the ratings for Dodgers Red Sox, which yeah. was a World Series that theoretically should have just absolutely blown the doors off. And it didn't like it just didn't. And I, 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 I don't necessarily I wouldn't say that I'm operating from a fear that baseball is going to become a niche sport. But if you if you continue to if you continue to seed ground seemingly every year to something that's clearly more popular and marketable on a national level and you're only and you're self-sabotaging in such a way that like you are inflict. You're, it's not it's not just that you're being being beaten by others. You're beating yourself and you're being beaten by others. And the the relation between Tony Clark and Rob Manfred and and all of what went into the last two months is sort of sort of a microcosm of everything that's wrong with baseball. And like you said, they have so they have so, they have so far to dig out. But like, the, the the common interest um, is just. It just isn't there, and if you and like, I think the, the way that the NBA has done it recently with between Michelle Roberts and Adam Silver is probably the model. Yeah. And but base like that is not like that. That is so far from where baseball is right now. It's 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 impossible to imagine a scenario in which we can get there anytime soon. And look, you don't need to have a great relationship between the union and the league to to to, to profit. But at a time like this, it sure doesn't hurt. And right now, you're just not getting any consistent messaging from either. And that's going to hurt baseball. And who knows? Maybe the NBA model will fail and the baseball model will thrive. But it won't be because their messaging was right and the NBA is wrong. I think it's pretty clear that when you see these two leagues sort of handle this crisis, you see which one's buttoned up and you see which one is not. I'm just really worried that next offseason is going to be the offseason the Marlins decide to spend. And <laughs> Mookie Betts and Robbie Ray and three other free agents and maybe Chris Bryant via trade end up on the Marlins and all of these moves go nowhere. You know what I mean? That's what I'm worried about. <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the Marlins have obviously been known to do that. Um, that seems that seems so far away. Like I, but but it's also it also might it also might be like the next time we get to talk about real baseball. Uh, yeah. I, I I mean it when I say it. Like I I think it's unlikely that we have that we play a full season the, the way that the way that they have it in mind. And then obviously we have to steer down the barrel of this like just daunting CBA task. And you and I are just such big fans of the game. And right now baseball is unwilling to get out of its own way. And I don't, you can, you can, you know, finger point all you want, but the bottom line is that the, the, the sport, at least in some sense is in peril. It is at minimum lost considerable ground on the NFL, the NBA and on college football. And if it reaches a point where people don't need it anymore, then you were in a position where hockey was in 10 years ago. And I don't think baseball can ever be as unpopular as hockey in this country, but like I, I thought all sorts of things about baseball that have proven to be untrue over just the last few years. Like right now, the sport, like you said, is in peril, and they're not doing anything to help themselves out. 
So um, the next 18 months, I'd say, will we'll tell us – we'll probably see the next 18 years for Major League Baseball. How we get there, I don't know. But if it's under the current uh, leadership of, of the league and the union, it's, it's, going to, it's going to be 12 rounds and it's going to be blood. But those things are so important to get right. And there's, those things are hard to get right when everything when, – when you have two sides pulling in the same direction with the same goals in mind. And if you don't have that, then – it makes everything so much more difficult. So I just keep coming. I keep coming back to it, man. But like, I I'm with you. Like, as 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 a lifelong fan of the game, I'm turning into a bit of an alarmist, and I'm skittish. And sort of, like, you're, you're sort of like on a roller coaster. Your 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 knuckles are white. You're gritting your teeth. You're trying to have fun, but at the same time, like, every time I'm watching, if, if I'm lucky enough to watch baseball this year. I'm lucky enough to watch it. It's going to be hard for me not to sort of wondering what what, what the next curve is going to be because the last I have some scar tissue from the last couple of months. I'll, I'll put it that way. <laughs> We're, we're all here for you, man. I, I, I You know, we're yeah, kind of just avoiding the obvious and it's good to speak to it a little bit here, but we just want baseball back and we'll take it. And it's important. Oh, I think yeah. That's what you're saying. It's important <laughs> to get a season done here because you're right. It could be a bumpy 18 months and that's going to be detrimental to really everything that TV networks, everything, every part of baseball could suffer if they really take a step back, which we both expect that's going to happen. So let's, let's yeah. enjoy some baseball for maybe, you know, six weeks or so, and then see what happens. <laughs> and, uh, if we're lucky, man, if we're lucky, but we, like it goes without saying that that player strike in the early nineties was so damaging to the long-term health of the sport. And that was at a time when baseball was much better positioned than it is now in terms of the national landscape. And if you, I mean, if all you have to do is look at the polling data, the, the other leagues have made so much ground in the last 25 years that doing that again to yourself, I mean, the NFL's lockout, the NHL's lockout in 2006 was terribly damaging to them. Like it's not, we have history. Like we have recent history that tells us what the answer to the test is to, 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 to not study that history and, and, and use that data in your favor because you know, just how damaging it could possibly would be just so, so stupid and silly. And, and the NHL just basically punted on negotiating. They just said, we're going to accept what you're giving us right now. It's going to be a short-term CBA, and we're just going to do it because playing is the most important thing right now. Let's just hope for that. Let's just hope Major League Baseball says, let's just keep pushing this thing down the road for three or four years, and then we'll readdress this when the revenue's back, right? <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. Goodness. Wishful thinking. He's at Paul Hembo on Twitter. You can see him on Get Up with Greeny and the gang on ESPN. You're probably in other spots of the uh, of the network coming up soon here as well, I would imagine. Busy man. Yeah, well, yeah, that's yeah, uh, you could- we were going back and forth on Twitter. You said I was an animal. I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe. I wouldn't describe myself as that. But I definitely. I definitely uh, see a future in which I'm gonna. I'm gonna be up at up at dawn like I am now, and and maybe staying up even later doing all sorts of stuff. But you know, th- this is a good problem to have. If you had told me when I was, I don't know, 15 years old, that I would be doing this for a living, I would have told you that's not a job. And then if you convinced me of it, I would have said I'd be. A, 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 I'd be a lucky man. So it's really. I. It's hard to say that this is work. What you and I just did. Appreciate it, man. Better, bud. All right. My thanks to Paul Hemikitis. At Paul Hembo on Twitter, he's always a great follow. Plenty of numbers, plenty of trivia, plenty of statistics. He's obviously one of our right-hand man for all that stuff. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash track for 40% off your first year subscription. My thanks to Dynasty Owner. Visit dynastyowner.com. Get yourself a fantasy league. Real contracts, real salaries. It's going to be a real tough year to do that, but it's going to be even more fun. If you're into that kind of stuff, if you're into the business of football and trying to build a dynasty like, like Paul kind of laid out there for all these sports in terms of fantasy, it's going to be kind of a crapshoot. So get yourself in the ring. Visit DynastyOwner.com. My thanks to Hit Parade. Not thanks for giving away a Pete Alonso signed jersey, but, you know, maybe we'll have better things to come from that. <laughs> Visit DACardWorld.com. We'll have more contests soon, giving away plenty of other sports gear. Get yourself a memorabilia box from Mike Giannetti. Thanks for listening to the Spot Trek Podcast. <laughs>